it for the reading of God's Word in our study together today. Father, we pray that you would cause time to stand still. I, I will need that. We will need that. Father, we look forward to the day that we are actually in your presence and the clock will not be running and we'll get to talk to you about everything forever. And we can't wait until that day comes, but Lord, until that time comes, may we be students of your word and of your truth. And we're asking you now, Holy Spirit, to unlock to us your word. You're the author of it. And at the same time, you're the Holy Spirit who's dwelling within every believer's life. Now, Lord, today, if there's anybody here, anybody watching, anybody tuning in, anybody listening, that they have a sense to know the things of God, but they they can't see, they don't understand, they don't discern. It's mystery to them. I pray, God, that you'd speak to them and open their eyes, that they might see the wonderful truths of God. Lord, increase our vision. So, Father, we ask you now to bless in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Church family, picking it up where we left off last time, what spirit lives in you. This is our third and final study in this section, and we're looking at Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. I'll read verse 9, if you'll pick it up in verse 10. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now... If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. That is incredible doctrine. And again, Father, we pray that you'd bless. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You can be seated. I mean, look at that. If we were just to run over that, verse 9. He talks about being in the Spirit. Regarding God's Spirit. The Spirit of God dwelling in you. He talks about that same Spirit being the Spirit of Christ. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. Isn't it amazing to think? That the Spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit that dwells in you is the Spirit of God. And he goes on to announce that if the Spirit is, or since the Spirit is life because of righteousness, he announces that the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, the fact is dwelling in you, the guarantee is that Spirit that raised Christ from the dead will raise us up also on the day of resurrection. It's just this incredible intermingling of God's theology. The theology that God has communicated to us is so deep and so powerful. Now, church family, uh, those of you who are native to this church, you know that we're all about church doctrine. And it almost doesn't get any sweeter than this. That, that God who dwells in all of time and space and eternity... The God who resides on the throne is also the God that resides on the throne of your heart. How could this possibly be? The children's ministry would quickly, with their resounding uh, announcement, say that Christ lives in me. They would point to their little hearts, and they would be accurate. We would be more stoic, and we would lift our finger and say, God dwells in heaven. And that is true, but it's not for us to divide the time and space of those two 
directions or destinations. Church family, listen. We happen to be living in this moment, in this physical world. And yet the kingdom of God lives inside the believer by the Holy Spirit. If I come across today accomplishing anything, I hope it's this, that you see a complete breakdown in the wall of separation between the eternal realm of God and the world in which you live in because you are called an ambassador in the Bible. An ambassador. We are called ambassadors. In fact, a very key word in the Greek language is we are not ambassadors to an uh, ally nation. That's a different Greek word. We are called ambassadors to a hostile world. That's the word that applies to the Christian being an ambassador. You and I are representing the kingdom of God in a very, very ungodly world. That's who you and I are. We are his instruments. And the awesome thing about it is, you and I communicate, we live our lives, we, in, we encounter this war and this exchange, and we do so with our physical bodies at this time. The Holy Spirit is doing that through us. But the awesome thing is, there's a day coming when you and I will be resurrected. Now, look, if the rapture takes place, we, we won't be resurrected will be raptured. It's a difference. Every believer will either be raptured or resurrected. When the Lord comes, we'll be raptured. That would be great if it happened today. And what that means is your body's not put in the ground. It's changed according to 1 Corinthians 15 in a how long of a time? Twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. And that is reconstituted. It's, it's amazing because the word demands that if we are occupying this space at this moment, that when the rapture happens, this space will be left void. I will be gone. It will be a reconstruction of the molecular being that I am. This is true resurrection. As Christians, you might want to write this down. Don't let anyone ever tell you anything that... Uh, represents Christianity as being a reincarnation or uh, some sort of resuscitation. No, 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 no. From Genesis to Revelation, it speaks about resurrection. And the only interrupt to that is the rapture. But if the rapture doesn't come, your body will be placed in the ground. It will turn to dust But just because you and I do not identify dust doesn't mean that your physical body ceases to exist, does it? It It's reduced to molecular content, which is really what you are right now. But you and I are predominantly water, and we are keeping this together, and we we, uh, we're structured here the way that we see one another. But listen, we lay you in a forest lawn or Rose Hills, and we go back in 30 years, and it's like, where is he? And uh, all that big casket is holding is a bunch of dust. But God will speak and that dust will be resurrected. He's going to assemble it in a brand new body. And uh, what a glorious moment that's going to be. We'll talk about that today. But I want you to imagine with me for a moment. This is pretty awesome. You got Paul the Apostle writing to the church at Rome. He's in Corinth, by the way. He's writing to the Roman believers in Italy. So he's in Corinth, Greece, writing the book of Romans. He sends the book of Romans to them, but Paul at some other time will be in another location and he will write to the Corinthians his epistle to those in Greece. And that will be delivered to them. 
And I don't know if you know this or not, but during the first century, the churches would move the scriptures, move the books, the epistles around, and they would read them and or they would copy them. And uh, by the way, we don't get, need to get into this right now, but people who study the veracity of the Bible, because you know the Bible's under constant attack, but for those who study to find out, uh, a, great, a great project, by the way, is for you to launch an investigation to disprove the Bible. You ought to try that. You ought to do it. Because you will find out that the Bible winds up being so absolutely confirmed by all of its historical and systematic preservation that history records that the only thing we come close to in our world to justify or to say is accurate, and we're not exactly sure, is Homer's Iliad. And there are, listen, for, uh, I think, I forget how many, maybe 600, I'm going from memory. There's only 600 manuscripts of, of Homer's work, and we're not exactly sure we think Homer did it all. But when it comes to the Bible, you're looking at close to 17,000 documents in, in the original hand of first century authorship or second century and matching writings against original writings against Old Testament uh, scripture, which is intact, the Bible stands out and beyond all other communications ever known to man. It's amazing to think about that, especially in an age when, when you could mess something up by putting the wrong keystroke in or you could somehow pollute a document uh, by a virus. Here's the Bible standing sure and firm, and it just goes to show you God's keeping work, God's keeping power. But what a joy it must have been for them uh, in Rome to receive the letter, and then also when Paul wrote to the Corinthians for them to receive that epistle written to them, only to find out this. In fact, I'm going to show you these uh, beautiful connection. Look at 1 Corinthians 3.16 as we get into this study. 1 Corinthians 3.16 is a good start to our introduction. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Well, that sounds like Romans chapter 8. But this is written to the Corinthians in Greece. God's truth is consistent, never changing. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? Isn't that an awesome statement? That's a scientific statement, by the way. What connection does light have with darkness? One dispels the other. By the way, the absence of light, darkness will advance. But when light is present, darkness must flee. You ever wonder about that? Think about that physically. When you walk into a dark room and you turn the light switch on, where'd the darkness go? And the moment you turn off the light, the darkness is back. He's tampering now with physics here. It's incredible. And so he says in verse 15, And what accord or what union has Christ with Belial? It's Satan. Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God, that's you, with idols? 
For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, watch, he begins to quote here, Jeremiah 24, 7. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Church family, before we move on from this, do you know what's epic? Because this is going to jar some of you guys. Listen, this is a non-denominational church. What does that mean? It means there's people from every walk of life and every bit of faith possible in this church, which means there's a, there could be a lot of crazy people here too. It's all about the Bible bringing us onto one page. So somebody might say, watch this, how could Paul make that mistake? How could Paul do that? He's a Jew writing to Gentiles. He speaks to them, and then he has the chutzpah to throw in Jeremiah. Doesn't Paul know that Jeremiah 24-7 belongs to the Jew? There are people who struggle with this. Don't struggle. Why resist the blessing? It's a gift. Stop talking about it. Receive it. If Paul the Apostle is speaking to Greeks, non-Jews, and he uses the Jewish scripture to communicate truth to them, are you following me? Then all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Does that make sense to you? When you read the Old Testament, you need to understand that God's word is true from Genesis to Revelation. Are there issues of dispensations? Yes, but it doesn't change the truth. In fact, we're on the brink of a next dispensation. You say, what do you mean by that? Pretty soon, God will be done speaking to the church. He'll be done doing things exactly what he's doing right now. Why? Because the church will leave the earth. We don't know when, but we know this. With Israel back in the land and Israel being surrounded by enemies, the Bible's very clear about this that God in that day will begin to pour out his Holy Spirit upon Israel. And during that seven-year tribulation period, it's all about God working with his people, Israel. And at the same time, the Bible that records that event is void of any church presence whatsoever. That would be a dispensation. There was a dispensation from creation all the way through to the day that Noah got in the boat. Are you hearing me? There was a dispensation that ended and started on the day of Pentecost. We celebrated that last week. The church was born on the day of Pentecost. But just be encouraged, by the way. When you read an Old Testament passage and you're blessed by it, write that down and memorize it. Don't let somebody tell you, well, you know, that's only to the Jew. The context will tell you. For example, the Bible says Jews cannot eat lobster. Now all of a sudden you're very glad to be a Gentile, aren't you? <laughs> but what happens if a Jew gets born again? He can eat lobster. <laughs> Did you know that? It's true. Why? Because the law is what's external. When you're born again, let's just put it this way, the law is written on your heart. It's, it's no longer on stone, it's on your heart. And let's remember everybody, the first Jew that was invited to be born again was Nicodemus. Remember that. Do you see how this is dovetailing together? The word of God is true for each and every one of us. So you guys, very fast, because we were away from this for some time, we saw this. What's, what spirit lives in you? Number one, we looked at this in verse nine. Is he the spirit of comfort? That's in verse nine, and we asked these three things. Is he the spirit of confirmation? Does he confirm his relationship with you? In other words, every believer knows that they belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
every believer knows that God is at work within them. Secondly, we saw that he is the Holy Spirit who possesses. Boy, we talked about the the comfort of that. The Holy Spirit resides within the believer. You read a little bit about that a moment ago, where God says, uh, your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. When you mention the word possess, are, are you possessed? Oh, I, yes, I am. By the Holy Spirit of God. See, how do you know? Because I know this. If I let my mind wander, oh, but a second into, into the weeds, that it ought not to go, the Holy Spirit says, Jack, get out of there. If my eyes see something it ought not to see, God says, Jack, look over here. Or keep your eyes on the road, whatever you're doing. Are you with me? It's not the external law that we visit from time to time on a placard. It's written in our hearts. And then the third thing we saw last time is that he's the spirit who reveals. God opens up the word of God to us by the Holy Spirit. All of that to bring about to us comfort. Does the spirit of comfort live inside of you? More than ever, you need to have comfort. Supernatural comfort. That when the world shakes, and it's going to shake. I'm wondering, listen, I I don't want to freak you out, but uh, maybe I do. With all that's going on, with all of this horrific sin manifestation, uh, think about the Dodgers. I wouldn't be surprised, by the way, now, now the San Francisco Giants. I wouldn't be surprised if there's an earthquake under Dodger Stadium and under uh, the, the Giants Stadium. You say, why? Because God will, eventually God will not put up with being mocked. And for that matter, you know, God could send a storm... God could send things that are just absolutely unseen and unheard of because God says he's going to judge sin. That's him. You, I don't like that. It doesn't matter. He didn't ask you. <laughs> well, that's not what I believe in. Go ahead. Do whatever you want to do. God's going to do what he said he's going to do. And uh, even if this earth was to shake and the mountains were to fall down and the seas roar... You, as a believer, would have to say with Abraham, shall not the Lord of all of the earth do right? Wouldn't it be correct or right of God to manifest his judgment upon a Christ-rejecting America? The answer is absolutely yes. We don't rejoice in that, but we know it's coming if it's not already here. Remarkable. Thank God he confirms our salvation. That brings us comfort. He possesses us internally. That brings us comfort. He reveals the word of God to us when we pick it up and look at it. That brings us comfort. Last time we saw, secondly, verse 10, that what spirit lives within us is the spirit of life. And we saw that in three ways. In verse 10, that he's the spirit who controls us. I love this. The longer you walk with Jesus, the less control you want to have. Let's, let's, let's just wake up. And young people are like, I'm new. Yeah, I, I mean, I love God. I'm going to heaven. And you are. You trust in Christ. But you still have your hands all over the wheel. When you get older, it's like, you know, I tell you, I mean, I, I don't own one. And I don't plan on owning one. But I see people driving around. Well, excuse me. I see people sitting inside of a Tesla. They're reading a book on the 55 freeway. Reading a book at 80 miles an hour, reading a book, and they're not even looking up. I don't have that kind of faith. (laughs) What's controlling that thing? Satellites and computers. There you go. 
For me, that's a problem. Call me old school. I'd rather drive holding onto the wheel and looking straight ahead. But listen, there's a time though when spiritual maturity just comes to your life and you let go of the wheel. And, it's, and listen, that control system is, doesn't need a satellite or a computer. It's God the Holy Spirit. And he does that in life. How does he do that? Indwelling. Secondly, we saw that he indwells. It's remarkable to think. Christianity is the only, as C.S. Lewis, it's the only faith on the market. I like that. Where God, its creator, says, I'll move inside of you if you invite me in. Wow. And then last time we saw in verse 10, he's the spirit who purifies us. He purifies us every day. He's getting us ready every day. He's getting you and I ready to meet Jesus. The bride of Christ is being prepared. Everybody, I just saw it. I posted it recently on my Facebook page where some data came in. And all of these numbers where the church, the, the church is dying in America. Really? Okay, well, what do you mean by that? They went on to tell us. Fewer and fewer people are attending church. And I think I posted the article and I made the comment, people, don't be worried by this. Don't get upset by this. That's the way the world sees it. Oh, the church is getting smaller in America. Oh, no, no, no. You misunderstand. The church is not getting smaller. The real church is being exposed in righteousness. What pretends to be church is being sifted out. Think of that. So don't, don't be discouraged by this poll that says, you know, church attendance has dropped by so much percent. Don't let that bother you. By the way, isn't it great that God is not a God of statistics? Because uh, that's not happening here. It's not happening anywhere that I know where the word of God's being taught. And people seek to apply his truth. So here we go, church. These things, I'll throw them to you up front so you can uh, know what to expect. In verse 11, in our closing argument, what spirit lives in you is this, is the spirit of resurrection. And it's the spirit of resurrection power. It's the spirit of resurrection eternity. And it's the spirit of resurrection glory. That's what we're going to be looking at today. So number one, right here in verse 11, he is the spirit of resurrection. And he's the spirit of power. Verse 11 says, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that's a statement, that's a qualifying statement, it's a statement of fact, Paul's speaking to believers, it's not like if, uh, maybe, maybe not, it's since. So watch this, the qualifier or the point of interest is this, twofold. Number one, the Holy Spirit, right along verse 11, you ought to write, Number one, the Holy Spirit. He's a person. Number two, is he indwelling me? He's to indwell. And he does that by his power. We've already talked about indwelling, but how does he do that? How does the Almighty God live in you at the exact same time that he holds the universe together and he resides in heaven and in all places, if you think about it, the Holy Spirit? And so, keep this in mind that he is a person. We've said that over and over again. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is a person. Uh, you can bless him, you can upset him. Uh, the book of Ezekiel says you can sin against the Holy Spirit and he'll become your enemy. That's what the children of Israel did because of unbelief. 
They made angry, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit. Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5, what did they do? They lied to the Holy Spirit. You can't lie to an it. You know, some cults will tell you that the Holy Spirit is a force. It's a power. It's an entity. It's not a person. How do you lie to an it? You can't go out there on the street and lie to a fire hydrant. You don't sit there and lie to your car. You can't lie to an it. You can only lie to a person. You can't even lie to your dog. They know. (laughs) And then secondly, it's the whereabouts of the Holy Spirit. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the whereabouts of the Holy Spirit, where is he? And that's the amazing, awesome reality. Write this down, everybody. It's Psalms 139, verse 7. It's incredible. Psalm 139, verse 7. This is David. This is 3,000-year-old theology. Whether shall I go from thy spirit, or whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Is that not awesome? That's the Spirit of God everywhere. So imagine this for a moment. Maybe this will help. The Spirit of God, imagine the Spirit of God um, likened to this sad illustration. You're living in your home, and you can theoretically write, you can open up your eyes, look out the window, and see forever. But on your table is an aquarium or terrarium. And inside, you've got little plants and little bugs, or maybe a lizard or a whatever. And you're looking at, the, and according to that animal or that bug or that insect, that's its world. Are you with me? That's where it lives. In our natural sense, this is where we live. You got that? God is outside. He's outside. And that bug or thing has no knowledge whatsoever of the vast universe that's on the other side of the glass. And in a sense, by your ability to look into its world and to look out of its world, so is the Holy Spirit. So is God. It's remarkable to think. It's awesome. And David makes it very clear. I can't go anywhere where the Spirit of God is not. Isn't that amazing? You ever think about that? Have you ever been, have you ever been uh, I don't know, almost abandoned? I've been almost abandoned a couple times. I have gotten myself in, self in trouble by swimming too far out at the wrong time of the day. And uh, I've told you guys in times past, I'm, I actually resigned. This is it. I'm going to drown. I mean, you actually just give up. You get so tired, and the more you try to swim toward shore or parallel to shore, it doesn't matter, because you're in a kind of a shallow location. This was in Hawaii each time. And when, when, when the tide is going out, and you're in maybe 20, 30 feet of water, that's considered shallow. That water is moving fast, like a Venturi effect. And I, resi- I, th- I couldn't go anymore. And I laid on my back and I was floating and I just said, that's it. And all of a sudden, out there, the water subsided and I went back first on a reef of coral and it just cut me up. But no, 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 don't say no. It was was wonderful. (laughs) 
Seriously. It's like, oh, ow, what? It, and I'm there, and it's going down, it's going down. I laid there, bleeding and all. It was pretty spectacular, actually, because I was so happy. Just, I was fine with it. And then I, I waited a long time, and the, you could tell by the movement of the water that the tide had ceased, and it hit equilibrium, and then, then I swam in. And I got to the shore, and I'm walking back to where Lisa's laying out and having a great day. <laughs> and people are coming up to me saying, are you okay, are you okay? I am fine, thank you. I'm fine. But the truth of the matter is, so the Spirit of God, he wasn't, it wasn't my day yet. I thought it was my day, so I was ready. But he was with me. Amen. That coral reef could have been 10,000 miles in space. He's with you. And he'll never leave you, the Bible says, or forsake you. And he brings you great assurance and great comfort. And what power is that? How do you measure that kind of power? When nobody can save you, when you can't get word out, and the power of God is there, not in electrical form, not in a roar, not in any other manifestation, but his presence, very calm, peaceful presence, is worth more than gold. Absolutely amazing. And you and I as Christians are to know this. The Bible tells us that the work of the Spirit is power in Micah chapter 3. Micah, way back in the days of Micah. Micah 3 verse 8 says, But truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord. Micah knew that. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon God's people and then leave them. And they knew it. Can you imagine everybody? You do not know what that's like. In this age, we don't know what that's like. The Spirit of God would come upon David and then leave David. Do you remember when David said in Psalm, I think it's Psalm 51, uh, renew a right spirit within me. Remember what he prayed? Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Did you know that's Old Testament theology because the day of Pentecost had not come? In our day and age, he will not take his Holy Spirit from you. You are sealed by the... I'm assuming I'm talking to believers. How many of you are Christians? Raise your hands. If you're not raising your hand, pay close attention and don't die between now and the end of the service. The Holy Spirit has sealed us unto the day of redemption. He's always with the believer. He'll never leave you. No matter where you're at, in the world or in the universe for that matter. And then there's also this when we consider the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's a clumsy way of putting it, but I'm talking about the destination of the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean, destination? If he's everywhere, how can he have a destination? Well, when I say destination, I mean destination that's for us. Him dwelling in us, there's a plan that God has put together in the Word of God. That while you and I are here living out this battle here on earth... There's a, there's a final place where you and I will come in for a landing, hallelujah, and it will be forever. But listen, when, when the destination, as it were, of the Holy Spirit is at work within you by power, you'll have a sense to seek God in your life. You're going to want more of God. If the work of the Holy Spirit's in your life, ask yourself this question, do I want more of God? Are you starving as it were? I don't know how to explain this. How is it that when you receive Christ, you're satisfied, but then while you're still satisfied, you're starving to get more of him? It's remarkable to me. What about the destination of drawing 
closer to other believers. Okay, now this is going to be sensitive because it's a big church and some people come to big churches to hide out, which I'm very proud of you guys in Jesus because I've been told, Pastor, I came to the church to hide out and people just started greeting me. <laughs> yeah, right on. That's your problem. We're here to love on you. Well, I just came here to, I just want, I don't want to know anybody. Too late. Why? Because listen, this is an organic family. This is the family of God. And the spirit of God, remarkably, it's called koinonia. The spirit of God in you seeks out other believers with the spirit of God in them. And when you meet somebody who you've never known before in life, a believer will have a sense of union with them within a matter of moments. Then there's those times when the Holy Spirit in you is saying, no, that person's, mark them, wait, not feeling good about it. What is that? Discernment. Your alarm's going off. There's just something wrong here. And uh, (laughs) that being a reality that seems to be increasing more and more uh, in these days, I realize how big, uh, I, don't know, I don't know what to do. I don't think I would call myself a liar at this point, but it's like, am I being on, truly honest? But what are you supposed to do when you meet somebody? Hey, hi, Pastor Jack. I've been a Christian for 300 years, and I've raised the dead, and I'm perfect, or whatever it is, or whatever. And you're just going, yeah, something's really wrong here. <laughs> or they could just be saying hi. And it's like, why am I feeling this way? I mean, I don't want to get like weird on you, and I'm not... Uh, you know, some of the Pentecostals here are saying, oh, yes, <laughs> absolutely. No, look, I'm with you kind of, sort of. Um, but you know what I'm talking about? What's going on? It's the Holy Spirit confirming fellowship with another who's in the body of Christ. And when that's not the case, we read it a moment ago in Corinthians. He says, don't be unequally yoked. People who are single hate that verse. But he's nice. Is he a Christian? No. Then give me his phone number. Delete it from your phone. No. You're flirting with disaster. And then people always cite their... Well, I have a friend who married a Satanist, and then three days later they got saved, and they're happily married. Listen, you have better odds in Vegas. God can do anything. But the Bible says, don't mess around. Listen, if you're single, pray that God would bring you an incredible believer. And by the way, you should stay single until God brings somebody into your life who's got faith that you can follow. A walk that is worthy of your submission. And I mean that both ways. I mean that both ways. Because the book of Ephesians 5 tells us that male and female, husband and wife, should both submit to Christ first. Then he gives the order of the home. But listen, young lady, if you're here today, wait for a man whose faith inspires you. But he's so handsome. Watch out! (laughs) That could be danger, right? All the ladies said? There it is. And then there's, of course, the destination of the Holy Spirit that just unlocks to us God's word. So get ready to write down some verses, everybody. And if you don't take notes, well, you have note paper in front of you. But if you don't take notes, that's why the margins of your Bibles, you write in them. Mark your Bibles up. Right here at verse 11, Romans 8, 11. Start writing these 
references down. Jude chapter 1 verses 20 and 24. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying, so building, praying in the Holy Spirit. I wish we had the time to talk about that. We'll do that some other time, but it's awesome. Verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. That is something that we need to practice today like never before. Keep yourself. This this requires effort on our part. Not keep yourself saved. You don't do that. Keep yourself in the love of God. Years ago, Pastor Chuck Smith stood in the pulpit of this church and he never didn't even open up his Bible. He said, let's turn to 1 John. And he turned to 1 John and he started teaching. And he was talking about the love of God in your life and he just went through the entire book verse by verse without ever opening up his Bible. And he simply summed it up by saying, keep yourself under the spout where the glory comes out. And what a sweet truth that is. Keep yourself in the love of God. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. That's a reference to his appearing. Now to him who is able to keep you, thank God, he's able to keep me, keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Wow. That's awesome. The power of the Holy Spirit will do that. Here's another great encouragement. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 9. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You guys all with me still? Verse 7. That in the ages to come, referencing eternity, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. A lot of our eternity is going to be walking around appreciative of his amazing grace and of his amazing kindness. We're just going to be thanking God. Verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Verse 9, Not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us, made us new. You could even say born again us, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Acts chapter 3, verse 26. Acts 3, 26 says, But you first, uh, to you first, God having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you, in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. The resurrection, the power of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. Wait for his son from heaven. By the way, that's an act of waiting. That's a very, very, very busy about God stuff waiting. Wait for his son from heaven, whom he, that is God the Father, raised from the dead. Even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. That is the wrath on earth. That's not a reference to hell, but actually the tribulation period. 
He's the spirit of power. John chapter 2, verse 19. Jesus answered and said to them, to the scribes and Pharisees, destroy this temple and in three days, I, the son of God, will raise it up. Look at verse 20. Then the Jews said, uh, it, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. So they're pointing at the stones and he's pointing at his chest. But he was speaking of the temple of his body, the Bible tells us. Isn't that amazing? Look, if you're an atheist, agnostic, or skeptic in the house right now, this is recorded in secular and religious or biblical history that Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. Now, right there's enough for you to say, okay, just, just that alone. I'm going to hang Jesus on his words. That's enough. It implies that you're going to, and it requires that you go after the resurrection, doesn't it? You got to go after. You got to discredit the resurrection. And if you can discredit the resurrection, then Jesus is a lunatic. He's just, he's not God, but he's a very good guy. I don't think he's a good guy. What kind of a good guy would say, kill me in three days, I'll be resurrected from the dead, if he didn't rise from the dead? That wouldn't be a nice guy. That wouldn't even be a good prophet. That would be crazy. But if he said in three days, I'll be resurrected from the dead if my life is taken from me or if I lay my life down and he rises from the dead, case closed. Are you with me? You shouldn't be a skeptic anymore about Jesus. If you're a non-believer, why? Honestly, why? You can't, you don't have an excuse. He's laid it all out and he's done it all. The triune power of God in unison, mind you, raised the body of Jesus Christ from the dead. I don't have the time to get into this, but when you put all the scriptures together, this is what you read, and I'm paraphrasing right now. The Bible says that God the Father will raise Jesus from the dead. The Bible says that Jesus was raised by the dead by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, I will let my life be taken from me, and I will raise my life up again. Did you know that, everyone? Each person of the triune, singular God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit said, we're going to resurrect Christ from the dead. That is awesome. And that same power is going to raise you from the dead also. That's if the rapture. See, I just... I just, it'd be fantastic. Especially if you're going through any treatment right now. You have to have a filling tomorrow. (laughs) Wisdom tooth pulled. Gallbladder surgery. Wouldn't it be great the rapture came? I don't know, man. I look around and it's like, I mean, I'm watching what you're watching. I'm seeing what you're seeing. And then I'm thinking, Jesus, I don't know. I know you know what you're doing. But here's the deal. If you wait any longer, it ain't going to be a surprise when you come. (laughs) Right? It's like it's so obvious. It's getting pretty obvious. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 14 says, Knowing... 
that he, he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. What a promise. I know everybody's watching. We're all watching our investments, right? They're all just going down the hole, right? You saved up all your life and it's all floating away. These kind of verses comfort me. You need to slap this. You know your portfolio that you might have for your retirement? You need to put this on the cover. Because when everything evaporates, this one thing we know. We're going to heaven. We're going to walk, in, walk on streets of gold, mind you, by the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit because Christ Jesus died for your sins, rose again from the dead, and he delivers all those who put their trust in him. Why not? Why not? Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 says, If then you were raised with Christ. Now that's, a, that's an amazing statement. If then you were raised with Christ. See, Jack, what are you talking about? According to God? His theology looking at us who trust Christ? He sees us already raised. So man, this... Jack, that freaks me out. It should freak you out. You and I are just like the ant. I don't know why I'm into bugs this morning. The ant, the ant walking on your kitchen table. What is he thinking? Where am I? What is this? The world is flat. It's flat. See, the world is flat. He has no idea that I, outside of his time domain, apply my thumb to his life and he's gone. He's no more. <laughs> or, that, that would be his judgment. He died without Christ. <laughs> with my thumb. Or, I put my finger down there and he climbs onto my finger and I rapture him off the table and I take him into the backyard and put him into paradise. Right? That, that's, that's what I want to have happen. And it's going to happen someday. However, watch this. If then you were raised with Christ, so look at yourself the way God sees you. This is not positive confession I'm talking about here. This is practical theology. God sees you washed pure, as pure as Jesus. Your life is in Christ. The Holy Spirit resides in you. You've been sealed into the day of redemption. That means God has put you on layaway for the day of his coming or the day of your death, whichever comes first. And that he sees you as righteous as his son. You say, man, that's wild. Of course it's wild. It's amazing. It's called the gospel. It's the greatest news you'll ever hear. What about my sin? Washed away. Gone at the cross. When did that happen? He died for your sins then, but you and I weren't born for 2,000 years later. Only God can do that. When he died on the cross, only God could have had you literally on his mind. And he did. And when he died, he died for you. When he died, he died for me. The Bible says he died for the sins of the entire world. But you must accept the gift. You must say yes. I'm still trying to get past this first part of the verse. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth or on the earth. That's the temptation you and I deal with. It, it, we, can, we, can, it, we get our eyes off of Jesus, our eyes will go somewhere. 
when we get our eyes off of Jesus and we go to that thing or those things of this world, and it's not, it's not bad having any of those things. It's that you can't have those things for your identity. Oh, if, oh, finally, if I just get one of these, I'll be happy, you see? And then you get a dozen of them and you're still unhappy. For you died, really, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then we will also appear with him in glory. That's at the rapture. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Fornication, stop sleeping around. Uncleanness, stop being filthy about your life. Passion, unsanctioned passion. Evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Next point, we'll go quickly on this, is verse 11, is that the spirit is the spirit of eternity. In Romans 11, it says, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Eternity awaits us, friends, forever. Listen to what R. Kent Hughes writes in his book. He's quoting... uh, Faith Bailey, she's writing on the greatest evangelist of the 19th century, Dwight L. Moody. When evangelist D.L. Moody described his conversion experience, he said, I was in a new world. The next morning, the sun rose brighter and the birds sang sweeter. The old elm trees waved their branches for joy and it seemed as though that all nature was at peace. Kent Hughes goes on here. I found the same thing to be true with my conversion. When I was 12 years old, I came to know Christ. I remember saying the next day, the sky is blue. The grass is greener. (laughs) Jesus Christ enriches the now experience of the Christian life. That's a great statement. Eternity. How does this happen? He puts eternity in our hearts. I'm going to speak for all of you, even though we don't all express it the same way. Those of us who have been born again, green is greener. Blue is bluer. Life is worth living more. We have purpose. Listen, I understand people say, what's the purpose of life? What's the purpose of life? Dude, I used to to wonder that myself, but there's there's a bigger question. What is the purpose of life and what am I supposed to do about it? When you ask those questions that way, God shows you. He gives you his life that he's planned for you. Imagine open up an envelope and you pull it out. It's a sheet of paper with your name at the top. And God's got all of your directions right there for your life. I think, by the way, I'm just guessing. This is not in the Bible. This next part, not in the Bible. I think people in hell become aware of what God had planned for them that was never realized because they rejected him. And I think that's part of their hell is knowing what he had for them, but slipping up and falling for what Satan lied to them about. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. That's a command, by the way. Don't lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing. Don't you know that? We all know that. Raise your hand if you've taken Advil or some sort of thing in the last 24 hours, right? (laughs) Why did we do that? Because our life is perishing. (laughs) I stumbled across these uh, tiger balm pain 
pain stickers, pain sticky thingies. They're absolutely fantastic. And I'm wondering if I put some on my face, if it would do anything about that. The outward man's perishing. Body's getting old, body hurts. But the Bible tells us, Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, coming from a man who gets beat up and stoned and whipped. Light affliction, he says, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, that's eternal, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Almost done. Be patient with me. John Calvin writes this. This is awesome. We concluded then that he speaks not of the last resurrection, which shall be in a moment, but of the continued working of the Holy Spirit, by which he gradually mortifies the relics, listen to this, the relics of our flesh and renews in us the celestial life. Let us not then read our text and, and cry out, what future lies before us? Let us rather read it and say, what a wonderful present is now ours to live. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I am living resurrection life now, said Calvin. I am living eternal life now. That's how we're to conduct ourselves. And then we end here. It's glory. The spirit of the Holy Spirit that is of resurrection is the spirit of glory. It ends verse 11 by saying, through his spirit who dwells in you. That word through, you ought to circle it and write down its Greek meaning. It means this, on account of, because, always. The word means by way of. Watch this. The cause Causation. Think of that. Continually, or for the sake of, forever. So forever, his spirit who dwells in you. This is the cause, and this is the conclusion. The spirit of, the God, of God who dwells in you. Why? It's for glory. God's got a plan, his glory. And the scripture makes it so beautifully clear in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15. The Bible says, but the Holy Spirit... Also witnesses to us. Notice this. Are you guys with me? Yes. We're almost done. The Holy Spirit. He's witnessing. Means he's speaking to us. And it's in the present tense. That, listen, that implies that God's word. Remember, God's word is done. The Bible. You can't add to the Bible. You add to the Bible, you're in big trouble. So you don't add to the Bible. God's done writing the Bible. But how? How is God speaking to me in the present tense? Now. The Holy Spirit is using the Bible. The Word of God. He uses the Word of God to witness to us, speak to us. For after he said, or had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. Again, listen. This is Paul. I think it's Paul. It doesn't matter. Written to the Hebrews in the New Testament, and he's quoting the Old Testament. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and into their minds. I will write them, he says, verse 17. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Beautiful. 
Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse says to that. The fact of the indwelling Christ is the guarantee that all of the power which was put forth in raising Jesus Christ from the dead is now available to, number one, to keep down the power of death that is in us by nature, and two, to keep you victorious through the life that is the very life of Christ in his resurrection, which is now ours. God the Holy Spirit takes away and keeps away the grip of the grave, and God the Holy Spirit prepares you for eternity, nonstop. You guys have room for one more string of verses? Jude chapter 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified. Notice, it's all past tense. You were called. You were sanctified by God the Father and preserved. Past tense. How? In Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. And Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who are in every place, call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Acts chapter 20, verse 32. So now, brethren, I command you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Hebrews 2.11. Hebrews 2.11. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call us brethren or brothers and sisters. Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Moreover, whom, I love this, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. Imagine that. Christian, your life is one awesome, radical dynamic of God Working, watch, working from finished in the here and now. So watch, you can stand, really. So watch this. God is working from finished. This is eternity, all things finished. In between finished and finished is your life and mine being lived out. When you go through these doors today, you need to hang on to this. What God has done for you, he's done. He's not going to do. He's done it. Just as you walk out of this room and into the world out there, you're taking the Holy Spirit who's both in you, around you, and is outside in that world. In a sense, he's waiting for you to go from finished out into that world, heading toward finished. And all along the way, you are to live your life by faith, which is this. I've been finished by Jesus Christ. I have been made perfected. The Spirit of God lives in me. I've been sanctified, called, renewed, justified, glorified. And that's the Spirit that lives within me. And today, if the Holy Spirit is not resident in your life, 
You need to ask him right now in your own words, Almighty God, save me from my sins. Rescue me from hell and death. And I want to live this real life that we're hearing about right now. And God will hear you. God will answer you. Give him your sins. And he'll give you his righteousness. Father, we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys in Jesus' name. Amen.